All right, well, let's get straight into it. Actually, before I do get into it, I just wanted to say just fantastic effort again to Catalyst for the great work that happened over the last, uh, really, it's been a couple of weeks, Pastor Trevor passed away, and uh, we knew we were in for a big day yesterday. Just so thankful to so many people that work so hard. We have a little value in our staff that's called uh, Enter the Ring, which means basically every now and again, we've got to get in that ring and we know that we might get a bloody nose or we know that it's going to be hard work. And uh, our staff and our volunteers, I really want to stress that, uh, worked so hard over the last few days. If you're involved, I just want to say thanks. It was an incredible job. You know, there's a, always a risk in uh, nominating or, or, or talking about people, but you know, I, I know guys like Tim, I don't know if Tim's jumped out to Revolution, but Tim, you know, is oversighting quite a few areas at the moment and he worked incredibly hard, uh, was here till I think 10 o'clock on the uh, Friday night. Uh, he said to me even, and I love this level of ownership, he said, I, I couldn't really even sleep well on Friday night, just thinking about everything to make sure it was done so well. Ron, I know, uh, you know, has come you know, in a part-time capacity on our staff now and worked probably more hours than any of us put together, if I'm really honest. Uh, the guys from CPC have put in extra effort and here I go, you start naming names and you get yourself in trouble. I also wanted to acknowledge, actually, Pastor Philip, who's walking in here. If you were here yesterday, the unanimous uh, point that was made was that he led the service so well under, you know, pulling it together under, under difficult circumstances himself sort of grieving the loss of Pastor Trevor. So can we just put our hands together for everybody that served so well and just did a uh, fantastic job, really mean it. Uh, our church put its best foot forward yesterday and uh, really served well and uh, people, people definitely noticed it actually. Um, it was funny, right at the end of the service, if you weren't aware, Brian Houston was, was here yesterday and uh, he sort of turned around and said to me a strange thing right at the end. He said, why did Pastor Trevor choose this church to make his church? And uh, it was a bit like, I felt like he was sort of saying, Hillsong's just down the road, you know? You get, why, why didn't he choose Hillsong? And, you know, I think, you know, he probably, like us, just looked around and, and thought, there's a church, I think what he was trying to say is, you know, there's a church that was uh, willing to bless, willing to serve. And, of course, we've got the CLCI link here as well as the link of Dad that was so uh, caring for him as well. So well done to our whole church. It was a really great, uh, I think, evidence and witness of what a church is all about yesterday. So questions and comments, I want to encourage you. We had some great ones during the first service, just people putting out ideas that help the rest of us. And I've seen that this week in Esource as well. Thank you for that. So getting straight into it. We'll say, if you weren't here last week, keep getting podcasts because we move on pretty quick and you think, what is this all about? Uh, you can do that, you can grab a podcast to be able to keep moving on. But I don't know about you, but maybe you're wrestling with some of the scriptures that we've been talking about. Words like hate your father and mother. These are Jesus' words, not you know, some, from some dark book. They're in the Bible. Words like give everything. You know, words like um, sell all you have to the poor. I hope these things are bothering you for Jess and I. I don't know if the words bother, but we are asking questions and we're changing things actually in our life because of the implications of these sort of scriptures. And I keep saying it will ask a lot of questions. You should be asking questions of yourself that aren't answered very easily even today. Um, what we've got to be careful though is even in a series like Radical, 
where we're talking about the cost and the things that Jesus say that we don't sort of get a, a tick box out and start making our, our life about doing these sort of things. Right, well, if I do that, if I give everything, tick, I gave everything, then, you know, I'm good. Tick, I hate my mother-in-law now, you know, something like that. Tick, I did it, you see? You know, that's not what it's about. Of course it's not what it's about. In fact, I've seen, we've all seen religion that goes just too far in, in trying to be, I guess, devout, and they miss the point. I, and I just say this in the right way. I began being in Israel, and they have so much from their culture, I think, that we can learn. Great culture. But I saw that nation or the people that are devout in that nation have sort of taken their religion to a, a, a degree I don't know that God ever meant for them to take it. Uh, for instance, things like, you know, at night you can't have, this is how father, and this is a sort of a specific example, you can't have milk in your coffee at night because it's, it, they're taking their religion to an extreme. Another one that amazed me was at certain times you get in elevators and they can't push the button on the elevator to say which floor they're going to go to because that would be considered work. Now, hear me, I'm not beating up on anybody. I, that's, that's not my intent. But I guess what I'm saying is how far do we take our, our, our list of things to do? This is not about creating a list of things to do. In their case, you get into the elevator, you can't push the button and, and it opens and shuts just at every door at every floor and I got in this elevator I think I was in a hurry I'm pushing the button and it doesn't light up and you know and if, if you're on like the 20th floor it takes a long time to get up there every single floor it opens and and shuts because of their desire to be devout and they're missing the point so we're not here about trying to beat up and say right well you here tick these boxes we're about the wrestle and about trying to work out what does God want from me. And I think that takes a higher degree of maturity. And I think we should be changing our perception of what God is all about. I saw a great picture during the week. And uh, it, it, it sort of sums up the journey that we're on about examining our own hearts. You know, and asking the question of, is my ideas about God right or wrong? This picture says this, and it's on the screens. Theology is like this. You take a handful of God, you roll it into a shape you can handle, and then you say, this shape is like God. Interesting statement, isn't it? Theology is like this. You take a handful of God, you roll it into a shape that you can handle, then you say, well, this shape is like God. That's what God looks like. That's it. Don't mess with my perceptions anymore. And I guess I'm saying to all of us, is that what we've been doing? I want you to ask that question of yourself. Is it possible that you've got a perception, a shape of what God looks like, and maybe God wants you to change that shape? Maybe God's a little bit bigger than the picture that you might imagine. Just take 15 seconds to turn to the person next to you. If you're on your own, that's all right. Just think about it. And just say whether that could or, or isn't true for you. You think, no, I'm totally open or... Maybe, it, maybe it's true. Or do you agree or disagree with that statement? Just 15 seconds. Go for it. Have a chat. Talk out loud. Make some noise. It's totally fine.
So with these scriptures that we're talking about, is it possible that God, I don't think, is just trying to confuse us. I think God is giving us challenges because he wants us to mature our faith, look at scripture and begin to really work it out in our own life. The scripture says in Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's an awe that comes with this stuff as we begin to ask these questions. There's a sense of, God, who really are you in my life? And continue to challenge me. I don't want to make a God into a God that maybe I just see that suits me, that is the way I want him to be. I want God to be who you really are. And I want to grow in that. Lord, we just pray, Father, that you would challenge us, expand our minds. God, if we do have a wrong picture of you or a half-formed picture of you, God, that you would expand us and challenge us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today I'm going to talk about this word, the sacrifice of a Christian. Radical sacrifice is what we're talking about here today. And I want to ask that question, are you willing to come to Jesus on his terms because again when you look at his terms they're pretty straightforward they're pretty strong and I've got to ask are we operating in a brand of Christianity a faith where we come to Jesus under our own terms you know we raise our hand in church so Jesus I want to follow you and whatever you want Jesus but what that really means is great I've said a prayer now Jesus just sort out things in my life for me make my life good make my life great I'll sort of just come every now and again. I'll just give you a little bit. It's just a little bit of an option to, to follow you. And God, just sort out my life from here on in. So it's a strange sort of Christianity. Do you know that nowhere in the New Testament, for instance, is there a salvation prayer? Not one place does anybody pray a prayer to follow Jesus. What they do is they follow Jesus. It's a life of following Jesus. Now, hear me, I don't have a problem with praying a prayer. I think it's actually a great thing to do. It marks a moment. It acknowledges something before Jesus. I have no problem with that. But don't let's ever make our faith into a moment and then God just sort of fits our life after that instead of, I begin to follow Jesus with all that that means. And yeah, we make mistakes and there's problems along the way and struggles and that's what that word sanctification is all about. He changes us and works with us and we're, we're frail in our ability to follow Jesus. But it's a life of saying, God, you're the Lord of my life. I'll follow you from here on in. And that's why Jesus makes it tough often when he's looking for people to follow him. In Luke 14, 26, anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and his children, his brothers, sisters, yes, his own life, he cannot be my, my disciple. Verse 33, in the same way any of you does not give up everything he has, cannot be my disciple. Can you imagine standing in that crowd? That's, that's just like crazy talk. Can you imagine being in that crowd, first century, honestly, remove everything you know about Jesus and there's a guy there going, well, if you want to follow me, you've got to hate your mother and your brother and your sister. Is it any wonder so many of the crowds just walked away? So I won't have anything to do with that. See, when Jesus does the altar call, he makes it tough. And he challenges us like at our absolute core. Now, I want to say something on this point. Don't misunderstand, though, his love for the crowds, his love for people investigating him. He was God incarnate. He was God here on this earth. 
They were drawn to him because they, 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 they sensed life in him. He loved that people gathered around. He ministered to the crowds. He healed the crowds. He, did, he fed the 5,000 because he was worried about them. And if you're here on a journey, in a sense, you'd say, well, I'm part of that crowd, to be really honest. But Jesus would say, that's awesome. That's, that's one of the heart of this church, is that people would be on that fringe trying to work out who Jesus is. That's why we do what we do as a church. It's why we have video screens and, and contemporary music and we're going to pave our car park and we do cafes because we want people to be part of the crowd. Jesus loves and has compassion for the crowd. And it's never going to be a problem here in this church. But at some point, what Jesus would do would be to challenge people, to push people and say, look, be part of the crowd, follow along. But if you want to really find me and find life, then you've got to take another step. And it's a deeper step and it's a further step. And he gets tough about it. And maybe for you, you've been a Christian 70 years maybe, but you've never really considered Am I following Jesus under my terms or under his terms? Because I think there's a, a, a great life in front of us for all of us if we follow him on his terms and not our terms. And that's what we're talking about today. What's required? What's the sacrifice that's required? So what does it look like? Well, the first thing is that Jesus requires superior... Whoa. No, it's all right. Jesus requires superior love. You've got uh, handout sheets that you would have got on your way in. That's the first fill-in. Jesus requires superior love from us. Luke 14, 26 says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, we keep talking about this scripture, his wife and his children, his brothers, sisters, yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That is an attention grabber. We had a great question pop up on the screen, by the way, last week, and it actually said, why would Jesus say that when he's telling us everywhere else, love, love people? Well, let's talk about that. Now, we're not going to try and just soften it so that it means nothing. But I want to give you some perspective. Let's look at even some of the other scriptures that help us understand what a superior love looks like. Let's go back to Matthew 22, that famous scripture. 22:36. Jesus talking to an expert in the law. And the, the expert says, teacher, who, what's the greatest commandment? What's the best number one commandment? Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and all your strength. And the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. We know that passage of scripture. But let's really look at that passage of scripture. What is Jesus saying? Love God with some of your heart? No, he's saying, love God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your strength. And it changes our perspective and gives us a glimpse of what superior love looks like. It's all. It's not even a part. It's all. That's the sort of love that he's looking for. You know, I, I've noticed personally, I, in fact, I did an exercise only a few weeks ago where we had to sort of talk about how we do our life and our time and prioritize our life. Now, I'm a Christian, I love God, so I prioritize. Number one is God, and number two is Jess, and number three is my family. And so I went down that list. Now, that's not such a bad thing. We, we get the point that all of those things are trying to make. I thought I did it right. God's number one. But what I change my perception as I read these scriptures, as I really dig into it, 
is that he's not even talking about a list of priorities. He's saying all. It's all God. We love him with everything that we have. And then we get this beautiful thing that happens. The second commandment is like it. It's a bit like Jesus is saying, scholars tell you, it's a bit like he's saying, there's one that flows immediately after it. As soon as you love God, you will love your neighbor. It's like, as I love God with everything I am, immediately the rest follows. I begin to love my neighbor. I love my wife. I love my children. But it doesn't come with me proportioning out my life. It comes with me loving God first with every single thing that I've got. Let's keep turning back to Matthew chapter 10. Be great if you want to follow along your actual Bibles. It's on the screen too. A very similar passage, verse 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. So it's a bit different here. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. See, the picture here is a strong comparison. Your love for me is far greater than your love for your father, son, or your daughter. And when we bring it into the context with Luke 14, the scripture interprets scripture, right? So, all right, what's he saying here? Well, Jesus uses this word hate, like, and, like it's a strong word. It's even an, an offensive word. We've got to be careful about softening this too much. But what I think he's saying is that your love for me is so supreme that when you compare it to your love for other people, it almost could look like hate. That's one way of looking at it. That's one way of trying to understand what Jesus is saying here, that your love for me, when you understand it, All other loves pale into insignificance because that's what it means to follow me. It's superior. It's the number one. It's all-encompassing. And by comparison, it almost looks like, hey, now, does that sum up, does it make complete sense? Absolutely not. It actually doesn't. Because just to use the word hate, well, it, it looks like hate. But this is the extreme lengths that Jesus is going to to talk about the comparison in, in Matthew, he says it differently. He just says, well, your love is going to look very different. See, our heart is wrapped up in love for God. You've got to dwell on some of this a little bit. It changes our compassion. And so when we begin to love God, then we love our neighbors. We love our wife. Our heart's conquered, captivated by that superior affection in God. I think it changes things. It changes the way I live. I mean, this is really radical. This is, this is significant in our walk with God. No longer, as I love God, do I have to then do a whole lot of rules and regulations and tick boxes. This is a key to unlocking what all this is all about. Imagine. I mean, I think we've done a lot of this, this in, our, in our faith. We think, well, uh, my, have I gone to church? Do I get that tick box or not? I need to pray more. I need to love my wife more. These are the things I'm told I have to do. I think Christianity is more than that. Christianity does not involve just begrudging obedience. It's a change in our perspective of where the love comes from. We know this on a human level. If I came home from work, can you imagine if I came home from work and I greeted Jess as I do every single day? with a rose and a kiss on the lips or something like that. And Jess says to me, why, why, 
why did you give me a kiss on the lips? And then I said, well, page 44 of the marriage manual says that I have to do that every Tuesday. So I've done my job. Do you know what she would do? She would take page 44 and she would shove it down my throat, most likely. Because it's like begrudging love. It's obedient love. It's just like, oh, I have to do this sort of love. Instead, Jesus is saying, change your perspective. Love me. Am I superior in your life? We're going to let go of this concept of I have to do these things for God because if I don't do these things, then maybe I won't be saved. And so I just do my duty. Do you think God wants to be loved like that? Or does he want to be loved with all of our heart? And then love flows out of us. It's a privilege. I love how Mark Driscoll says that he says, we don't have to do it, we get to do it. We get to love God with all of our heart. One of the things that bugs me is this perception in Christian faith that there's, a, like there's a, the exciting worldly path, which is over there, full of fun and adventure, or there's the path of following Jesus, which is boring as everything. It's dull. Life is like drained out of you, but you can choose that way if you really want to be a good Christian. I saw it on Facebook and I looked for it. If anybody sees it, forward it to me. It actually had that option and it was serious. It was this young guy and had this clean-cut guy and he had to choose between fun or God. Actually, it was a post and which one would he choose? Oh my goodness. Is that the sum of our faith that we have to choose between fun and God or do we love God and we find that love flows from us. I think fun flows from us. Life comes to us. It's a change in our revelation of who God is. I start to think I want to go to church to, to love God but I have to change my priorities. God is not an aspect of my life. He's not a component. So I'm not asking you Do you go to church? I'm not asking you, do you read the Bible or do you pray or do you do this or that? Do you raise your kids well? Do you love your wife? I'm saying, do you you love Jesus? That's the first question I think Jesus is saying. You want to follow me? It's a superior love beyond anything else. You know, I suspect that our culture today is a culture where we idolize children. We idolize marriage. We idolize sex. We idolize families and relationships and parents to the point where if we had to split up you know this whole thing and how much we love Jesus it's sort of like if that's our life there's all these things and well Jesus he gets the the that other bit and I've 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 apportioned a bit for him as opposed to this belongs to him this is my heart everything belongs to Jesus I changed my attitude and I love him with everything that I've got. It changes our life. It really will. You want to know what this looks like practically? I um, don't know enough about this guy. I've really read about him in here. But I want to read a bit of his story. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, I believe. But um, he says, you know, he lived in a time when it wasn't easy to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, He lived in a time where you were persecuted and he was told, if you keep preaching about Jesus Christ, trouble will come to your family. And he he wasn't a well-off man, he was a poor man. And uh, he had a wife, he had children, he loved dearly, he had one child that was blind and he had this challenge, what will you do? Do you you love Jesus or do you just say, well, I guess I'll just pack up my bongos and go home? 
Well, he kept preaching, of course. And he was in prison for it. And this is what he said in his jail cell, the parting with my wife and poor children has often been to me in this place as the pulling of flesh from my bones. And that not only because I'm fond of these great mercies, talking about his children, but also because I have brought to mind the many hardships, misery and wants that my poor family is likely to be meeting with, especially my poor blind child who lay nearer to my heart than all I have besides. Oh, the thought of the hardship I've thought my blind one might go under it breaks my heart to pieces but yet he says this from a prison cell I must venture all with God oh I have seen in this condition I am like a man pulling down his house upon the head of his wife and children yet thought I I must do it you know that is a love that says God first Jesus first you know, be careful you don't make that into a tick box. Did I just say, okay, right, so I have to reject my family. Is that the tick box? Is that what I have to do? I have to hate my family? If I had that exact choice, that's what I have to do? Your, your choice is love Jesus. That's your choice. All I'm saying is a superior love. Firstly, it's Jesus and let it flow out of your life. Wrestle with these things between you and God. But what we know to be true is we love Jesus first. Does he have a superior love from you in your life? Jesus would say, if you can't, if, if you can't do that, you can't be my disciple. Just challenging stuff. The next one is exclusive something, but is there any? I don't know. I, there is questions. So do you want to put those questions up on the, on the screen? Um, and I'll have a look at them. No, there isn't questions. Where are they? Okay. All right, is there a difference between, uh, between being a follower and a, and a disciple? We had that question last week. It's a good question. Um, just go back to the first one there. Um, follower and disciple. I, I think w- I answered it last week just simply by saying it all depends on definitions. I think absolutely there's a difference if you have a, a sort of an impression of a follower as somebody that just meanders along and sort of does their beard. A disciple might be to you somebody who, um, you know, really pours their life into following Jesus. I personally don't think there should be any difference. I don't know if that answers that well. Are there the old questions? Okay, if we are following Jesus, how do we know that what is his will and what is ours? If we're following Jesus, how do we know what is his will and what is ours? Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, look, this is exactly what we're saying, isn't it? You know, this is the struggle of walking and following in this life is we've got to take all of these things to Jesus. We have to mature our faith. Hebrews talks about m- maturing coming when we can distinguish between what's good and evil and sometimes those things aren't as far apart maybe as we might think we've got to work out what is God's right and perfect will so I think that's where maturity starts to come personally is in really hard work you know I often say to people if you want gold you've got to dig for gold gold doesn't normally isn't just found you don't just walk down the street and you find the gold you've got to dig for gold this is the stuff that's not actually easy to get to 
So how do I know exactly what to do in any given situation? I think you've got to begin a journey of exposing your heart and repenting and reading books. This book here is a challenging book available from our resource center. Do do you sort of know what I mean? Like that's not the easiest question. There's some questions that are easy to answer in your own life and you can quickly get to an answer on them. Other ones, you're going to need to walk it through. Now, sometimes you might want to get good, wise counsel and have somebody walk alongside with you, especially if it's a really big decision. But that's going to be a lifelong journey. One more. Considering the cost and the struggle to view everything I have sacrificially in my family, in that love, I thank God for Jesus' sacrifice and grace. It's a statement. So considering the cost of this... No, just go back to that previous one. Considering the cost and the struggle of you, everything I have sacrificially and my frailty in that love, I thank God. That's a great point and I hope you hear it continually through these messages that we give. We're imperfect as we do this journey. So don't anyone beat up on yourself that you haven't got all this stuff sorted out. That's where the grace of God comes into our life. The challenge is, will I accept his grace? And that is part of that journey as well. One more. Just let's do one more. What does loving God with all our heart and our soul look like in our everyday life? There's a series called Radical that we're preaching at the moment. You should listen to that series or buy this book. So the last one, Jesus requires exclusive, no it's not the last one, second one, loyalty. Jesus requires exclusive loyalty. Verse 27, anyone who does not carry his cross And follow me cannot be my disciple. So first of all, superior love. The next one, exclusive loyalty, carrier's cross. You know, this term actually is misunderstood. I just want to say that right from the the start. When it says carry your cross, what it doesn't mean is you need to go and be nailed to a cross. It doesn't mean you're about to, you know, beat yourself up for all of the sins that you've done in your life. You've got to carry that around, you know, for the rest of your life. And, and pay the price. That's not what that's saying. Jesus paid the price for our sin. We're free of that. So really hear that. It's, it's important. But what it is saying is that we carry around a cross, that we see that our life is not our own in a little bit of a way. It's like we carry around an electric chair. We don't have crosses, but I think some places have them, or maybe they don't, but you know what I'm talking about. Electric chair, if you were carrying that thing around, walking towards your death at some point, maybe it's in the next 12 hours, you know your life is not your own anymore. And it's evidenced in front of other people. People would see it. They'd say, that guy's gone. It's finished. It's almost a sense of, well, it's humility. It's a a humiliation that comes with that one. My life is not my own. That's what Jesus is talking about. Somebody said to me after the first service that it's in the Scriptures Five times that Jesus says this. You've got to carry your cross. He's saying, you better understand that your life no longer belongs to you. Everything you have is over for you. You don't have pride. You've given it away. Honor, nothing. Your dreams, gone. You're a dead man walking. No plans for your life. No ideas coming from you. It's, those things are gone. Now, this is strong. This is what Jesus is saying when it means we carry our cross. What are we dead to? You're dead to yourself. You're dead to your dreams. You're dead to your hopes, your plans, your ideas for what's going to happen in your life. You're dead to those things. You've died to those things. 
strong, right? But then flip it around and just get a glimpse of the good news, of course, because we know that we're actually alive and we're alive in Christ. So are we dead or are we alive? Well, we're alive, but we're alive in Christ. The life that we now live is in Him. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives in me. I said this in communion last week. It's like we give it all away and then Jesus gives life back to us, but it's life that's in him. So I count myself dead to all of these things that come at me or come from me about what I want. I say, count myself dead to them. What do you want for my life now, Jesus? I've got to change my attitude. I've got to be renewed in my thinking. And of course, this takes time. It takes sanctification, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. But it changes things. You don't determine what sort of house you live in. I mean, this is as specific as it gets. He does what sort of job that you have. He does even the relationships that you might have. He does the plans that you might make. He does the clothes that you might buy. He does. You might say, That's, he's taking it a bit too far. I have to pray. Jesus, is this the socks that I should buy today? What would you say, Lord? Just let me fast for 10 minutes about the socks, you know? Do you know what I mean? And how far are we taking this? Well, I think he imbibes in us his values and his ways. And we'd be open to being challenged. One small example that happened to me actually last week. I went into a shop. I was on my own. And uh, there was a shop. They're having sales for T-shirts. I needed a T-shirt. I went in there. I'm like, great, T-shirt sale. And uh, the sales lady came over, the girl came in uh, to help me out. And they're all folded up. They look great. There's one that looked really good. I'm like, that's probably the one. And she unfolds it and it looked great on the front. But then down on the bottom corner, there was this picture of this girl on, on, on the shirt. And uh, she was a good looking girl. Do you sort of understand what I'm saying? You know, she was an attractive girl. But it wasn't over the top. I'm not trying to make out, you know, that it was, you know, just way too far. It was sort of in that strange sort of zone of, well, I wouldn't exactly wear that t-shirt to church, but maybe I could just wear it to other places, but, but then, you know, nah. and I'm in this spot, I'm sort of wrestling with it, and the girl's looking at me, sort of like, because like, I had said, oh, that's a really good shirt, she opens it up, and I'm like, ah, what do I do, and the girl's here right now, and it's on sale, and, you know, and I said, oh, I, I, no, actually, I, I don't really like that shirt, um, and, and the girl said, oh, that's, that's funny, because I don't like that shirt either, that's what she actually said, and I went, and she opened up another one, it was a one of cars or something like that. And I went, yep, that's the one. You know, that is, that is safe as anything. And, uh, and, uh, and she went, yeah, I like that shirt too. Now, here's the funny thing. I went over to the cash register to pay. And of course, you know, she, what does she say? She says to me, so what do you do for a living? Can you believe it? Like in that moment, and I'm thinking at that moment, I'm so glad I bought the car, the, the car shirt and not the girl shirt. Do, do you know? oh, I'm a pastor and I've got this, you know, do you know what I'm saying? You know, and I think this is the point. Our life gets changed, the decisions that we make. We actually went on and had a conversation about me being a pastor and it, it's a whole other story that goes with that. Now, I just say, this is what I mean. We change our perspective on life and the things we would and that we wouldn't do. And all of this ultimately comes with a cost. Jesus uses two illustrations. He says in 28, 
to 30. Um, he says, we are workers constructing a building. He says this, estimate the cost to see if the person has enough money to complete it. You know, Jesus is making a point here, I think, about making a quick, fast, simple, emotional decision to follow Jesus without understanding there's a cost that comes. There's a giving over of your life. There's a decision that's got to be made. Will I build this tower? He talks about towers. You know, will you count the cost before you follow Jesus? I find it all the time. People say, yeah, I'll have that stuff that that Jesus has to offer, but don't you come near my life. Don't you you come near my life and say the things that Jesus might be requiring from me, the attitudes, the stinking things about my life, the the ugly things about my life, the the things he calls me to live to, the forgiveness that he asked me to give. Don't, Don't come near any of that but I'll just have Jesus on my own terms. John Stott writes this, he says, the Christian landscape is strewn with the wreckage of derelict half-built towers, the ruins of those who begin to build and were unable to finish. Oh, that's so challenging. You know that the Christianity is filled with people that have sort of got a bit of Christianity, a bit of the taste, but really it's a half-built tower. They weren't really willing to go on and build that tower. And really be people that follow Jesus, that give up their life to follow him. It's a challenge that's coming to us as a church. Now, one of the cynics speak about the church and say, just full of hypocrites, just full of people that are just playing a game. Is that us? Is that you? Be challenged in this. Jesus says there's different priorities if you're going to be my disciple. And the last one here is total loss. Total loss. Verse 33 says, Jesus says, In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. There's no real easy way to talk about this one except that it says everything. Everything he has. You've got to give it up. Say goodbye to, relinquish, abandon, renounce. We give up everything. And another great comment after the first service. And just a good point. Oftentimes we think about all the goods. Oh, I've got to give up all the good stuff. It also means the bad stuff, by the way. It also means the problems and the muck in your life. You actually have to give all of it up. That's freeing. That's, that's liberating. But if we want to follow Jesus, we give everything up, not just the, the, the some things. We give all of it. We count all of it lost to Christ. That's our passions, our dreams, our family, our wife, our children, our mother, all of these things. We asked it on Esource this week and got some great comments back about, does it mean our houses, our TVs, our iPhones? Well, what does it mean, all of this stuff? Well, I think it means we say, Jesus, I give it all up to you for your work. What would you have me do with this? And it changes the way we view our possessions. It's radically different. Let's look at Hebrews 10 and how they journeyed through some of this. Remember, Hebrews in their time, they were struggling with persecution. It was not an easy time to be a Christian. Hebrews 10, 32. It says, Remember those early days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in the great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed. Other times you stood stood side by side with those who were ill-treated. 34. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted I love this passage. You joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Joyfully accepted it. I think we'd have a, a morning time and it'd be a, 
you know, they, they joyfully accepted it because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. You joyfully accepted it because there's better things. We have a greater value. We love, we have a superior love of Jesus Christ. We know what matters most. Then you go to verse Hebrews 11 verse 13, it's talking about the men of faith. It says, all of them were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth because of their love. They've been thinking of the country that they had left. They would have had an opportunity to return and said they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. This is the great passage. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What a great picture. Not ashamed to be called their God, because God has called a city for them, making a city for them. This is a people that know there's another city that matters more, another lot of priorities. They know there's something better out there, so I'm going to follow after that. We're inundated with stuff. And I think Jesus calls us to a life that's not Australian Christianity. Not Ipswich Christianity, but biblical Christianity, when we understand what our stuff really means. So does that mean we suffer, that we grovel, that we have nothing? No. That's not the point. That is never the point. The point is not that we live in poverty or something like that. The point is that we have an understanding of the value of this stuff in comparison to the love of Christ. And that maybe in an instant, we're willing to give it away. And God may call some of us to that. The point is the stuff doesn't satisfy. It's only Christ that satisfies. Have a look at 11.24 of Hebrews. It says, By faith Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In other words, all the things that that world had to offer. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather enjoy, than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Short-term perspective, long-term perspective. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. I don't know if that catches anybody else, but this is Moses who had Christ in his heart. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as better than the treasures of Egypt. For Moses, it was a no-brainer. This is an easy decision. I'll give it all away for the sake of of Christ, of this superior love. I give it all away because that makes so much more sense. It's not sacrifice when we gain Christ. Somebody said this last week. When we get that perspective in our mind, it, it doesn't become a sacrifice. It's about Christ. That's why we say when we, when we talk about giving, you know, people get stressed about, oh, do I give? We talk about 10% being a guide, a, a, maybe even a starting point in Scripture. And again, it's like an obligation. Oh, I have to do this thing. It's not about that. It's about, I love Jesus Christ. So I'm willing to give. I want to give. It's a response of my heart. In the light of his greatness, in the light of the things that he's done for us. He didn't die on a cross so that we could just have the pleasures of this world. He died on a cross so that we'd be aliens and strangers in this world. That we'd be salt and light. That we would stand out. That we would have a faith that is different, that is somewhat radical to the, the eyes of the people that are around us in so many ways, in the lives that we live, in the grace that we give, in the love that we show, in the way we serve each other. 
And there's a reward. But the reward is Christ. It's always about him. We go back to him. And that's where this gets all flipped around because Jesus, it says, requires superior love. But don't forget that Jesus was the superior love. That Jesus laid his life down for us. It's not like he's just pointing fingers at us. It's like, let me give you the greatest example of who I am. I loved you. I loved you first before you loved me. It says that we're needing to be exclusively loyal. But don't forget that Jesus is supremely loyal to us. He says he doesn't leave us or forsake us. And of course, it talks here about the total loss that's required. Don't forget that Jesus was the supreme loss. Jesus sacrificed the supreme loss so that we would have life. See, you can look at all of this stuff like a guilt trip, like a beat up, or you can look at it like just a recalibration of this is the stuff that matters most, that it's about following Jesus that matters most, that it's about giving to the one who gave to me. And if I do that, if I see him, if I put him in his rightful place, then it's a privilege, it's a, it's a love. I love giving to him. I love obeying him. When the challenges come in my life, I love to look up to him. And again, we carry around a, this old body. We live in this old world system and we won't always get it right, but that's almost the beautiful part because then we remember his grace anyway and we go back to him. And we say, Jesus, you're enough. Jesus, your grace is enough for me. It only makes me want to love you more and follow you more in my own life. C.S. Lewis says this, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who goes on making mud pies in the slum because they cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. And he says this, and listen to these words, we are far too easily pleased. We think our houses, our cars, our stuff, our relationships, our desires, our sense of security, our sense of safety, our promotions. You know, we're playing with mud pies in a slum when there's a holiday on offer at the sea. You know, it's what breaks my heart as a pastor when I like I say to people, come to God and have life. And sometimes people think I'm robbing them of life. That I'm, I'm putting a challenge in front of them that is harsh and hard. And Jesus is just simply saying there's a better way. There's a greater way. There is no challenge that's not too hard when we understand his desire to give us life. That he's inviting us to the holiday on the seaside. That's what he's calling us to. Life and life to the full. It's not even a hard ask ultimately when we get the bigger picture of what Jesus is all about. It's why we have humility in our life. It's why we have forgiveness. It's why we love each other. It's why we've got to be challenged to do these things together. Superior love, exclusive loyalty and total loss. You know, have you come to Jesus on these terms in your life? It's fundamentally the most important question, not on your terms, but on his terms. Are we coming to Jesus on his terms? I want you to think about that and dwell on that as this music plays. It's just going to minister to us. And there's really a time to ask us at the start, 
Do you love Jesus? Really, this is the heart of all of this. Do you love Jesus in your life? And I want you to hear the words of this song and ask that question of yourself. Is he, is he first in your life?
just prayed, God, that's a great challenge that we all walk away with now. That challenge of, Lord, I give up the world. What am I holding that is too tight, that belongs to me, that doesn't belong to you, that should belong to you? Lord, we just pray for your help in this. We pray for your grace as we walk and ask the questions of ourselves. God, we thank you for your abounding love for us. I think you love us as we journey, God. You love us as we strive to walk towards you, God. Lord, you love us as we, even as we get it wrong, Lord, your grace is on us. And I thank you for the freedom that comes from this sort of challenge, the freedom to find you, the freedom that there is in Christ, Lord, where we have joy in our hearts, God, and even the challenge that you place before us. And don't let us, God, get lost in the difficulty, but Lord, let us get lost in your love and let it flow from there. And we thank you for your promise of grace and the promises that you give us and how good you are to give to us. Lord, and just help us to keep walking and journeying, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.